In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. Welcome to the Man Card Podcast and our mission to build an army of men in the arena who are becoming the best version of themselves in changing their world. Males are born. Men are made. We're going to separate the men from the boys. A man is as a man does. We want to help you to become the best version of you. Theodore Roosevelt spoke about this rare breed, saying the credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood. That's awesome. The man card belongs to those protecting integrity, fighting apathy, pursuing God passionately, leading courageously, and finishing strong. A man is as a man does. Enjoy today's episode. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Man Card Podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. All of our guests are experts in their chosen field or passionate cause as it relates to manhood. Our goal from every episode is to call you into the arena of manhood, to call you out of the faceless and nameless void of the male-dominated bleachers, and to call you up to the absolute best version of you, because when a man gets it, everyone wins. I'm Jim Ramos, and I'm here to introduce... Part two of our interview with Rick Johnson and his book, 10 Things Great Dads Do. Guys, this was such a great podcast. We wanted to extend it and give you a second part of this. And so you're going to enjoy today's episode. So just sit back, crank the volume up on your radio, and enjoy this episode. Um, the next thing you had, the sixth thing that great men do, great dads do, you talked about a man's spirituality. And uh, finding yours so you can teach your children there, theirs. And you told a story in there that I just cringed when I read it about <laughs> holding hands and singing Kumbaya. And uh, I just, I, I, you know, how can we help our churches interact more uh, and speak a man's language? How can, we, how can we help our churches to help men get it in the church? Anything you can add to help us there with? You no, know, I don't know. I, you know, you talk to David Murrow about, you know, how the churches have become feminized and and men are less, you know, women are <laughs> virtually all the roles except for the senior pastor who has to have a lot of feminine traits in order to relate to the mostly female congregation. And, and you, you know, you're, I'm, I'm not surprised that men don't go to church very often. Now you see healthy churches, obviously the, the healthy churches are the one that have men involved and actively involved. And I think that's where senior leadership is allowing men to be men when they come into the church. Um, they're not forced to hold hands or 
or hug everybody before the before the um sermon starts and all those types of things so but but i don't know i mean everybody around the whole country is asking how do we get men more involved in and i think it it takes men it takes guys like you here's here was you know what here was a huge thing for me accepting christ okay so i'm doing all this stuff i'm right on the verge of accepting christ as my savior i go back to the tri-cities washington to my 20 20 year high school reunion i see three guys that i used to run with in high school that we all got into trouble all three of them are christians <laughs> boom all of a sudden i've got permission now right yeah combined with all the other stuff all the men i'm seeing in church that are you know what i'm saying um and so that's like okay yeah this i'm gonna i mean so i think it takes men to to bring other men to christ now yeah. not to say that a lot of men haven't come to christ for a good woman right i mean um, yeah yeah this is a a tough topic with men because men's spirituality is a lot more personal mm. and uh they and uh i think that if we as as christian leaders can Think of men before we do anything in the church. When I do this message, how can I relate to men? When I set the thermostat, how can I relate to men? When I set the dress code, when I set the decor in the church, when I, you know, uh, all of these things, I think really will help. But um, yeah, this is a tough one for men. That was a that that was a that chapter. I could feel your wrestling in there, and that was a good stuff, man. So I appreciate. Well, and to, to your point, you know, I think it's a fallacy that we that pastors think that they need to relate to females the truth is is that if they relate to males and males are active and excited women are right there they're they're all for it right they they yeah. they women have this unique ability i think to to have this close relationship to god without having to go through some of the things that maybe men have to in order to to develop that kind of relationship yeah i agree man so the next chapter number seven or the next the seventh out of 10, you said helping your child find their faith, mm -hmm. helping them find. And now what I really liked, I loved your subtitle, Rick, helping your children find their way. And I want to focus on that statement because I thought this was really impressive and important. Uh, you talked about, um, you know, when your children are young, they will not depart from it. You know, uh, that proverb. And you talked about that and talking about, you know, raise up your child in a way that he should go, which is according to his bent or according to his gifts can you talk us through that because a lot of times people have misconstrued that proverb to say if you raise them up in a christian home that's not necessarily what that passage is saying in the hebrew language can you walk us through it well um yeah i, I don't i don't know i don't know exactly I don't remember what the Hebrew passage is on that, but I will say this. I will say that if as parents we hold to our values and model those for our kids and we're not hypocritical about it, because I think that's, you know, kids, especially teenagers, they're like, their BS detector is just huge, on, especially on hypocrisy, right? And so if we're actually living, I mean, so I had a successful business. Um, I get sued. I can't afford professional liability insurance, so I've got to close. I knew I was going to go full-time ministry sometime, but probably not this soon. So I got a 17-year-old daughter. I'm full-time ministry. We're not making any money because you don't make money, especially at the beginning of full-time ministry. And my daughter comes to me in all sincerity and says, Dad, how are we going to survive? And I'm kind of like, you know, I was kind of 
thought she was kidding at first, right? And I'm like, well, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure it'll work out. I'm sure, you know, I'm sure God will take care of it. And she looks at me and she says, well, what if he doesn't? Mm. And I thought, I said, well, we'll just see, won't we? And And thankfully, you know, every year, the mortgage was made every month. We never had skipped meals. You know what I'm saying? God provided through all of this. And it was a huge example for her. Now, she went from this rebellious, uh, what we said in plight company, a strong-willed child, to being this now young, godly woman with this growing f- huge faith. And I'm like, who are you? And what did you do with my daughter, right? And But it was because that's what was modeled for. She was able to see that. And so raising our kids in their in their way i think is is part of that is understanding them enough to understand how god created them and designed them um if if we don't know our kids if we don't know our kids and i I use that in quotations because a lot of men don't know their kids as a basketball coach a lot of parents don't know their kids i'm telling you i know more than they do about their kids okay Um, yep it's hard for us to shape and help them to follow that path that God created for them. Uh, we've got this beautiful granddaughter, strong-willed, seems strong-willed women seem to run in our family for some reason. <laughs> and, you know, people are critical of the way we're parenting her. She's going to be spoiled. Well, no, she's not. I don't, I want her to have passion. I want her to be bold and excited about stuff. And I'm guiding her. I'm not going to squish that down because some people think that she's going to be spoiled or that where we're being too lax for her. but that's her bent that's the way god created her and, and my job is to help her control that so she doesn't destroy herself before she can use that the way god created her to that's so good i mean that's the key that hebrew word means according to the bent uh you know they're all different so we can't raise them all in a cookie cutter manner we've got to say what's this one's strong-willed so how do i open up his or her spirit Right. For them to become the best version in Christ, this one over here is more compliant. How can I challenge them to become um, uh, a risk taker? This one over here is a rule follower. How do I, you know, and so how do we, uh, all three of my sons are completely different. They're motivated by different things. Mm-hmm. And as a coach, you know, you've got to find a way to motivate individual players. Right. And so we talked to, we interviewed Brent Jones, who played for the 49ers in the 80s. He won three Super Bowl championships. And he said Coach Walsh was an expert at learning what each man needed to excel and to motivate him. And so that's really good, man. So now, now along that line, you made a comment about spoiling your granddaughter, but uh, number eight things that great dads do. And I'll tell you what, man, I, I love this chapter. I know. You said teaching, my character, teaching character, but the subtitle was teaching your kids to suffer. Or allowing, your, allowing, kids, your, kids to allowing your kids to suffer. And we live in the generation of the bulldozer dad and the, the helicopter mom. And I love what you had to say in this chapter. So talk me through why you wrote it. Well, you know, we see, of course, working with single moms, especially with boys, they tend to over be overprotective. They tend to rescue them too much. And that's very, very destructive, especially to boys. Um, males in particular, although probably females too, develop healthy self-esteem and self-image by trying something, failing, persevering until they getting up and persevering until they succeed. And that's how all of us learn how to succeed in life. And uh, when we don't ever allow our children to suffer, how are they ever going to learn some of the 
I mean, you know, here's the problem. My wife and I, and we struggled with this. We struggled with not allowing our kids to suffer. None of us wants to see our kids suffer, right? But we came from environments where we suffered a lot as kids. And But you know what? That created character in us. I don't know if you can get, I don't know if you can develop character without some amount of suffering in your life. And and better better that our kids experience that under our guiding hand, protective guiding hand, rather than the big bad world out there get out there and all of a sudden they have to suffer and there's dire consequences associated with it. Well, and when you, I want to help our listeners understand what you mean by suffering. You're not saying experiencing hurt and loss. You're saying like with my sons, they had grandparents gave them cars. We said, okay, great. Go get a job and pay for your own insurance. Well, what? I'm a three sport athlete who has a 3.85 grade point average. And you're saying, do I have to work? Yes. Well, that's me. None of my parents make, none of the kids make have to do it. Well, that's, that's fine. You're our kid and you will learn to do this, which in other words, what we're saying is you're going to persevere. You're going to suffer through this. And on the other side, you'll be a better man. Well, yeah, we're talking about suffering, not trauma. Correct. So yeah. how do we allow our kids to suffer without traumatizing them is the challenge. Right. And, um, and, and I, and so I think, you know, we're obviously if, children are in a situation we don't want them traumatized but we do want to force them to be held accountable for their actions yes um, which i think is just good parenting to begin with so um you know the, the point is that life is hard life's difficult and it doesn't seem to care what our needs or wants are most of the time and it never seems to get any easier no matter how older you get either so yeah, um, yeah. you know why not teach our kids early that um how to succeed in life instead of getting run over by it so in your in this chapter, you you there's a paragraph I want to read that really I really loved it. I just want you to build on a little bit. You said this, dealing with suffering and, and teaching, our, allowing our children to suffer. You said, unfortunately, our culture no longer values shame or honor, two traits necessary to create good character. That's because shame and honor imply moral judgment. Without the will to judge right or wrong, we can never be honorable. Without the ability to feel shame. We can never develop character traits such as compassion, honor, and integrity. Those who do not feel shame cannot suffer, and those who do not suffer cannot develop character. Hmm. I love that. Can you explain that? I don't know. That sounds like somebody a lot smarter than me wrote that. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I just, I, re, I just, I think that, I think that a lot of times as parents, we cover our our kids' shame. Hmm. You know, when when they do something wrong, uh, we will cover that. We will bulldoze over that so that the, so even in their flaw, even when they make a mistake my son one of my sons got in trouble for egging an ex-girlfriend's uh <laughs> egging an ex-girlfriend's boyfriend's car along with the chief of police's son oh my god they got caught and got in trouble and there was a lot of shame experience there and and we never pulled back the throttle we made him apologize we made him make it right you know so what we were saying is we love you, but this shame you brought on yourself, now you need to work through it the hard way so that on the other end, you come out as a man with better character who doesn't do that again. Well, there's healthy shame and there's unhealthy shame. And, you know, some of us have experienced unhealthy shame growing up. And so we yeah. want to protect our kids from that. Um, and so we'll make excuses for them or we'll blame somebody else when, when they do something that, um, that they should feel shameful about instead of allowing them to experience that. So when my kid as a little kid acts, takes candy from the store and we get out in the parking lot and I find out about it and we walk him back in and make him apologize. 
that's a shameful experience for him, but you know what? That's healthy shame. Okay. That's not unhealthy shame. That's not, that's not telling him he's worthless and he'll never be, he'll never amount to anything shame. Okay. Yeah. You, in your book, you said um, the greatest skill we can teach our children comes by letting them fail and allow them the privilege of suffering the consequences of that failure. Mm. That's the go and apologize because you stole the candy. Go and, you know, apologize because you threw the eggs or, you know, you got, you were cheating on a test. Oh, well, got to make that right. You know, yeah. I'm talking. Well, you know what? Failure teaches us a lot of good value lessons. It humbles us. Um, it teaches us perseverance. Uh, it teaches us a lot of things that we don't learn if nobody allows us to fail. Um, not the least of which is, again, healthy self-esteem, because if we fail and we can are encouraged, usually by men, to get up and, and try it again until we succeed, um, we develop healthy self-image and have self-esteem. Yeah, I think a lot of times in our household, uh, mom t wants to bulldoze over it mm -hmm. or hover above it and protect it, but it's the dads who take the harder line. I think the dads, this is a, a battle that dads need to fight and a hill a dad needs to die on. I think children to pay the consequences for things that they have sown uh, wrongly in their lives, and so right. it's painful, but it's it's important. So hey, number nine of the ninth, the ninth thing that great dads do, and I again love this one, is that children are members of the family, not the center of the universe. Mm -hmm. And uh, what we have seen is, especially all of my kids played sports. Well, we've seen a lot of sports parents. You, you talked about the only thing the kid offers to the household is his presence or her presence. Mm -hmm. And so you have these parents who make the child the center of the universe. Right. How have you seen this destroy and damage marriages? Well, I mean, what we talked about earlier, not the least of which is when the kids grow up and leave, the wife and, and the husband have not developed their relationship to where they're best friends like you guys are and, and doing things together. And now all of a sudden they've got no reason to be married. Um, but not the least of which, you know, when we do that, we're, we're teaching our kids that they're more important than the marriage relationship is. And really the, uh, many people are attributed this quote, but the greatest gift you can give your kids is to love your wife. Um, yeah. time after time you see kids who maybe don't have money in their home, whatever, but they have a loving, healthy marriage and, and relationship and they're very healthy healthy kids and so um you know i interestingly i've i've spent most of my coaching career coaching public schools and recently i coached at a private school and to see the difference between the players uh the private school players are so entitled they've basically been given everything they have no drive no desire no fire no um it was a it was just like night and day it literally was a shocking experience for me to try to figure out how to motivate these kids that had been given everything in life and had all these opportunities, whereas public school kids probably don't. You know, sports was their way out and they were serious about it. And, um, so yeah, it's interesting. So one of the things that I wanna talk about that wasn't in this chapter, but uh, it really leads to the next question. What about second and third marriages? Because in second and third marriages, you often hear this statement, I just told her, my kid's the most important thing on the planet. And if she doesn't like it, she can leave. Mm. What, what's, how is that? What, what is the wrong in thinking like that? What is the damage done in thinking like that when it comes to the title of this chapter, not making the kids the center of the universe? I, I'm not sure that I understood your question, Jim, but 
so 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 you and I have been married to our women for 37 and 26 years. Mm-hmm. They are the most important people on the planet to us. They're the number one ahead of the kids in the in the family structure. Mm-hmm. But in a second or third marriage, mm-hmm. oftentimes that's not the case. A lot of these men or women will say, "No, my my kids are more important than the marriage." How is that damaging to the marriage relationship and to the kids? Yeah. Well, again, you know, um, I think our kids judge us by our actions, not by what we say a lot of times. And, you know, I, I'm not qualified to speak about second marriages or third marriages or blended families because I've never experienced it. But one thing I do know is that, again, if we are the guidepost of an earthly father reflecting our heavenly father, how how are we going to trust a, a a heavenly father not to abandon us if we've abandoned one relationship and started another and abandoned that one and and gone to another and so on and so forth now i don't mean that to sound harsh to people in that situation and many many people navigate those very difficult waters um but i i think we have to be careful about what our words match up to our actions in those situations yeah yeah of course i just offended half of your Listening audience, probably. <laughs> They're used to it. They're used to it. Especially if they drive a Prius, drink tea, or like cats. Okay. Um, so the tenth, the tenth, the tenth thing, uh, the tenth uh, thing that great dads do, and I, this surprised me, but once I read it, I was like, I get it. I get it. Uh, the tenth thing great dads do is they are gatekeepers of the home. Now, when I when I first read that, I thought you were going to focus on media, and you, you did mention that in the chapter, but the thing you focused on mostly that I really respected, because I was a youth pastor for 25 years, and I learned that the most damaging thing to a teenager's spirituality were the friendships they chose, mm-hmm. not necessarily the family, uh, which I, I noticed great Christian families had kids that turned out poorly, and I was like, what's going on with this kid spiritually? What's his friends? So how can a man regulate or what did you say in your book you had a phrase for it uh you said that um it's important to help them choose their their faith their friends mm-hmm. how can a man help his children choose their friends what are some strategies you've got there well i think first of all that we find again friends and couples that we can families that we can associate with and hang around with that have the same values that we do um and and maybe that's relatives, maybe that's you know uncles and and cousins and things like that, um, because we need other adults speaking into the lives of our our kids, not just us, because they don't listen to what we say, right? But you know, my sister can come along and say something to my to my daughter that I've been telling her her whole life, and she gets it the first time she tells her, right? Yeah. Uh, so I think that's important. Uh, I always insisted that we meet the parents, parent or parents of kids that my kids wanted to hang around with uh you learn a lot about kids just by meeting their parents Mm -hmm. so i think those kinds of things are important um and you know there were kids that obviously we discouraged our our kids from from hanging around with it what's the the saying about um 20 years of hard work down the drain with 20 minutes with a with a with a new friend or something like that yeah yeah you see that all the time so uh you know we wouldn't encourage our kids to hang around with drug dealers or pimps 
And yet some of the kids in high school are auditioning for those roles right now, right? Yeah. So. Wow. That's so how, so how you mentioned this also, how do parents create an atmosphere in their home where other kids want to come and be a part? You know, what, you know, to create a home that has things there that other kids want to come so that the parents have even influence over those other children. When our kids were little, my wife took them to the public pool once and heard and saw some things and came home and immediately told me I was installing a pool in the backyard. <laughs> and so spent like two, two summers excavating and putting in this pool myself. And, um, you know, we encourage them. They'd have kids over all the time. We'd always make sure there were plenty of food, pizza, um, just have fun stuff going on. Um, encouraging, you know, at, at Bible study, uh, Sunday school and stuff, kids there to have relationships with them and their parents. And um, just tried to make our home a happy, fun place for kids to come over and spend time with because we were much more comfortable with them coming and spending time at our house than going over to some of these other people's homes. And so even kids that were maybe at risk, we figured if we could have them in our home, we could not only have an influence on them, but we could be controlling what they were doing and what the environment looked like. Yeah, I just, I think that's so important. Uh, we did that in our family too. We thought it was so important. Ugh, I got a hair in my mouth. We thought it was so important that that we create a household that would attract others, which meant, you know, foosball tables or swimming pools or trampolines or a food, <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, having an extra fridge or an extra area just for their buddies. Right. And so that I think that was a big deal because, uh, who our friends choose as their friends is a is an impact maker mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, hey, last question uh, today, and it's a question that we like to ask all of our guests. The Man Card Podcast. We've defined the Man Card. I, in fact, I just finished a book called The Man Card. We've defined it as five things: protecting integrity, fighting apathy, pursuing God passionately, leading courageously, and finishing strong. Of those five, Rick, which one resonates with you the most right now and why? Well, I think always leading passionately, I think, has been a big, big uh, one with me. Um, you know, I, I just, I there's so many people that have no passion in the world today. And it's just like, gosh, it's boring being around people that don't, <laughs> aren't passionate yeah. about stuff. But I just, I just want my family, I want my kids to have passion in li- for life that, find something that they want to do and are passionate about and can live life to the fullest. And, and so, yeah, probably, probably that would be the one that resonates the most with me. I appreciate that, man. Hey, Rick, I really uh, appreciate you taking the time to come on our podcast today. Uh, We're going to, we're going to actually break this podcast into two episodes because I think we went a little bit over today, but your book had, your book is so impacting to me and my kids, my kids are out of the house. So what we've done, Rick, is we've bought, 10 copies of your book. We're going to give a copy to the first 10 men who add 100 men to our Men in the Arena Facebook page. We started this page, Rick, six months ago. We're already almost to 9,000 men from all over the world on that page. And so we just really want to encourage our guys, check out this book, guys. Uh, We are just going to send it to you at our cost because we think it's a great book and we want to get it in your hands. So go and add 100 uh, guys to the arena. And we would love uh, to to see that thing grow to 20,000 guys by the end of this year. So got Rick again, thanks so much for coming on our show. And men, you have been listening to the Man Card Podcast. Changing your world is the toughest thing you're ever going to do.
But we have three simple steps and ways that we want to encourage you to be a world changer. First, enlist. Download our free The Great Hunt for God app with our messages, blogs, training videos, Bible app, and life-changing links. Subscribe to this podcast if you haven't done so already. And again, join the Men in the Arena closed Facebook forum for men. This is the best group out there for men to understand what biblical masculinity looks like. Number two, guys, invest. Invest in yourself becoming your best version. Go to our gear page or app on the website and check out uh, our books and our many resources for you. Gosh, pick up some of, the, some of uh, Rick Johnson's books. These are great. Invest in your personal growth. And the third thing, guys, is change your world. Get involved in causes you care about. Champion the cause of the great hunt for God. Serve in your community. Get involved in your local church. Join us, guys, and build an army of men who are becoming the best version of themselves and changing their world because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Until next time, feel the wet sand of the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out. And be a man. This is Dale Culver, and you've been listening to the Man Card Podcast. Has your man card been challenged today? If you hunger to be the best version of you, then join the thousands of men around the country on our closed Facebook forum called The Men in the Arena. This is the best place to have open discussions around the topic of manhood. Also, make sure you ask about our newest equipping opportunity called The Man Card Weekend with The Men in the Arena. Let us inspire the men of your organization to become the best version of themselves today. And don't forget to purchase a copy of Jim's new book, The Man Card, Five Characteristics Separating Men from Boys. This is the best book out there that defines what a man is and does. In it, Jim combines his master storytelling abilities with his no-holds-barred style, distinguishing between men and boys. If you want to keep your man card, then pick up a copy of this life-changing book today. Simply go to the Great Hunt for God app or mancardpodcast.com and pick up a copy today. Thank you for listening to this episode, the Man Card Podcast. This is Dale Culver signing off. Until next time, join our army and become the best version of you. Get in the arena. Let the world feel the full weight of who you are. Grind it out. Be a man. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men for around the world and find out the type of dad you are.